Rooted in Revenue with your host today, Susan Finch. Susan Finch here, your host today for Rooted in Revenue. And I have been putting this interview together for months with Doug Brown, Doug C. Brown, so you don't confuse him with anybody else. We want the right Doug Brown because there are a few. And I've heard him recently interviewed on SAS District with Akil Jabber. I've heard him on other shows. I've read his articles. You guys want to learn from him. And I'm very excited to have him here. And I want to say thank you, Jacqueline Brown, for putting us together, because I think this is going to be a wonderful, very pointed discussion, a little different than what he's been talking about recently. We're going to dive a little bit deeper on a couple of points from a recent article that he did for Forbes. So, Doug, welcome. Thank you, Susan. Thanks for having me here. I'm really grateful to be here and I look forward to this. Well, terrific. Folks, a little bit of background about him. You can learn the rest on LinkedIn. We're not going to do a whole bio resume thing here. But to give you a little bit of credibility, in case you do not know who he is, Doug Brown is the CEO of Business Success Factors, correct? Correct. All right. That's where they help business owners and CEOs increase revenue and acquire large accounts using systems that have positively increased sales up to, listen to this, 862%. You, that is not a typo. That is not a speako or a spoko, whatever you want to call it. That's it. And, but you started working when you were, and not many people can say this except for my son at three years old. That is correct. I worked <laughs> on my dad's business. <laughs> yep. I, I, uh, we worked, uh, at three years old. All, all my brothers actually worked for my dad's business growing up. Um, and, I never got a chance to ask my dad before he passed on whether or not this was uh, by strategy or he just needed additional labor for free um, <laughs> and or low cost. But uh, it was a great experience. And you know, by age five and a half, we were out talking with clients out on the floor. By age six, we were selling. I mean, it was it was a really interesting way to grow up. And you know, I used to get out of school at 11 o'clock in the morning. I go, you know, eight o'clock to 11, get out, go to work for my dad's business. And wow. yeah, it was a great experience. Uh, I did it for 18 years of my life and I always built some side businesses in between. It's where I learned what leverage was about. And my first foray into business and understanding some of the complexities and the headaches and the challenges, but as well as the, you know, the rewards. Well, what I brought you on to talk about today relates back to an article you wrote recently for Forbes. And we're going to cover two points in this episode, folks. We're going to cover addressing blind spots in your company as soon as possible and getting clear on your target audience. And sometimes those two things tangle up together quite frequently because that's usually what causes the blind spots is you never <laughs> spent that time. And, and this is beyond just the typical what we all hear in marketing speak, the buyer personas. It's more than that. And it's a little more in-depth and isn't quite covered with just let's make some fake personas. Let's really identify. Let's just dive right into this first point of addressing blind spots in your company. Well, every company has them, right? Because, you know, business is so easy if you remove the people. So as soon as we bring, <laughs> well, I mean, it really is. I mean, you think about it, it's money out, you know, minus money in equals something, right? It's, 
that's the formula. And, and it's not hard to follow that formula until we add people and then people have wants, needs, desires, fears, all that stuff. And they also have this immense, wonderful creativity about them. So they'll start creating things and trying things and the company starts to expand out. But what they don't do most times is they don't think about the whole science of the whole customer journey. Like how's it going to affect the client at every single turn? Because that goes back to, you know, your brand. A brand is really something when somebody's thinking about you or your company, what are they thinking about? That's your brand. So we all want that to be positive. So blind spots are in every single company. I've never, through all the years I've been doing this, the decades, never had one company, whether it's a solo entrepreneur I worked with or, you know, major corporations like Procter and Gamble or Intuit or whatever, they all have blind spots. And those are things that we just can't see that trip us up. Specifically, I want to address the fact because we do a lot with sales and marketing on, on all these shows that we produce at Funnel Radio. I want to hone into the blind spots that are typical and most commonly overlooked in the sales process. Well, <laughs> there's so many. Um, let's, <laughs> <clears throat> so the uh, favorites, let's just go with that. Well, I, you know, one of the blind spots for let's uh, on a salesperson's level or sales or even on a department level or a division level, their salespeople are not prospecting enough. They are just not. And the master prospector will always outsell the master closer. One of the things they don't have, every time I've interviewed a company, the average is one to two ways that they're using to get new business. Now, we would think it would be higher than that. But traditionally, they're you know making maybe a cold call and potentially asking for referrals, something like that. Or they get referrals inbound and they're making cold calls out. You know, it's the typical make 100 calls a day, kid, you know type scenario. You know, some of them have more, but most of them have one to two working for them. And what I always tell people is, look, let's get one new method working in your business every other month, or if you can tolerate it every month. And the reason behind that is because when you have multiple ways of drawing in clients, what ends up happening is, this goes back to actually the persona, you can get far more choosy <laughs> on who you deal with and who you work with. So now you're working with highly qualified people versus just any old lead that's coming through the door and never ceases to amaze me. But when people embrace this, their revenues magically grow. It, it, that's stunning, right? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I had one, uh, one guy that I taught this to, he was in sales and he was, his commissions were 140,000 a year. So he was doing okay. And um, he put this in play and he went from 140,000 to 2.1 million in sale and commissions that year. Oh, isn't that beautiful? And did yeah. he have to work harder? Did no. it take him longer? No, no. Actually, see that that's the, it's kind of the, uh, the reverse relationship. You actually are busy because you're busier because you have more to do, but then you get to kind of what salespeople love to do, cherry pick, you know, who, who you really deal with. Um, so you get very targeted focus on who is the right client for me to be working with. And the other ones, either you just, you know, move off to somebody else. You know, that's what I did. I learned this, Susan, when I was working for a major corporation. Out of 315 salespeople, I was the number one guy in the company. And I didn't think I was that smart, to be honest with you. But what I, 
what I was, was I was a massive prospector and I had 62 incoming calls coming into my phone every single day. And so it got to a point where I hired two assistants to actually field my calls because with that amount of lead volume coming in, and these weren't just like inquiries, like, Hey, I'm interested. A lot of them were buyers. So, you know, if they were at a certain level, then I could handle them directly. So I was handling the, the larger ones. And then the smaller ones, I taught the assistants how to actually just, you know, send this form, let them do, you know, do this. And the way it translated out in the company was, the average order size, now we did recurring revenue in this company, it was a telecommunications company. Okay. So it was $1,500 a month was the average order size. Uh, so $18,000 sale a year, basically. My average order size was $3,500 a month. Why? So because I was working with the right clients <laughs> and the other ones, if they weren't worth my time, I started passing them off to the other sales team members and they were writing the $1,500 a month sales. Now, just to, and I don't want to sound braggadocious or arrogant, I'm just giving accurate numbers. For those who are listening, here's what happened. My average sale was $3,500. However, I had nine people on my team and my sales were outselling all nine people combined on that team, as well as the teams in Massachusetts, because I was in New Hampshire. They had two teams in Massachusetts. They have one team in Rhode Island. They have one team in Connecticut. My numbers consistently every single month were higher than all team members combined. So what was the biggest difference, the biggest contributing factor to that massive difference? So the prospecting method that I use, that would have been, been the, the massive contributor or? or... Yeah. I mean, what, what, what do you say? Oh, here's the difference. Oh, that's because blah. What's yeah. the, what's the one, the one key, yeah, there are other factors too, but the one that stands out. Building an agency within the company. So what I did is I used other people's labor. So think about this from the telecommunications standpoint, we were selling dial tone. So local long distance, uh, data services, right. Email, et cetera. And there are people out there who had built in customer bases and we used to call them, you know, phone vendors for one, right. They were people who sold telephone systems. Well, they were people who supplied an IT service, but they didn't supply what I supplied, most of them. And they just had 30 years of clientele built in. And so <laughs> who loved them and trusted them and all of that. So what I would do is I would approach this particular uh, entity and I would say, hey, I do this, you do that. I think I can help you sell more phone systems. And they would say to me, well, how do you do that? And I'd say, well, you know, my average teardown rate on a phone bill is, you know, 27%. So if they're doing $1,000 a month in their phone services, then that saves them $270 a month. And your average phone system at that point, you know, was 200 and something dollars a month. So it's like, I can literally cost justify them upgrading their system or buying a whole new system from you. And they will be cash positive. Would you like to speak? And so... <laughs> They're probably falling so, over themselves. So they would, you know, they would say, sure. And, and our company wasn't known at that time. It was a company that wasn't really huge in the space. But what we did is we'd get together. And then when I got together with them, the first thing I would say to them after we built initial rapport was, I understand that your clients are your gold and I'm not going to do anything to tarnish that. So if you find during this conversation, any way that I can tarnish your client base, 
either A, please let me know. And if I find a way, I'm going to probably ask you for us not to do business. Is that acceptable? And that just set it right at ease. So then we would, and I'd be like, we're not going to take your whole client base. We just want to do one test client. Once we do the one test client, then I want to prove to you that what we do is what we do and that you're going to be proud to be here and be happy. Then we'll take a second test client. I don't want your whole base. Then I'll take a third one. I don't want your whole base. Then we'll do a fourth one. And then you determine whether or not we should open it up to the base. You know, I had numerous relationships built like this and they were picking up, you know, 5% recurring revenue on the back end, as well as selling new phone systems. I had one guy that, you know, he generating almost $12,000 a month, additional income, as well as selling new phone systems. So his, his business revenue went up, his profitability went up. That's what I used to do. So that would be the one thing if I had a, what is that curly on the city slickers movie, you know, life is about one thing, right? Right. I like that one thing. It comes back to though, not only did you identify your target audience, you targeted their ultimate goal and fear, addressed it, calmed it down, put a salve on it and allowed them to listen and be open to what you were trying to bring for them. So you accomplished all three of those goals with that swoop. I've always said sales is not a very difficult business. It's really playing win-win and communicating well and doing what we say, be truthful. And if people just followed those guidelines, they would do really well in sales because it removes the desire and need to have to close or I'm in trouble, right? And so you, we don't do desperate things. You identify quickly who your, maybe it took you a process, I'm sure it did, your target audience. It was not the one ofs. It was the ones that already had the built-in client base. The ones that were, had a good reputation, mm -hmm. had long-term clients that just adored them. Mm -hmm. And that's where you swooped in and said, that's who I want. Because I want to work with them because I want to be that to them as they are to their clients. And I think sometimes people, especially salespeople, sales managers, overall companies are afraid to really get very honest and truly look at or think, oh, it's too big of a dream. You know, that's the perfect client for me. Wouldn't that be the best? And I think they, companies hold themselves back from identifying that because they're trying to not be ungrateful. They're trying not to miss every little crumb that comes their way. And they're afraid to take the risk of really just saying, nope, I'm going to pass those along because there are other people that would benefit from having those crumbs. I don't want the crumbs. I want the cookie. Yeah. And in, in, in for an individual selling, it, it depends on what they want their income level to be, right? Some people are very happy with taking incoming leads that just close and they make a certain per, you know money per year. And, and so everybody has their own level of gratification when it comes to what kind of money they want. Um, you know, I had two little kids that, you know, newborns, and I, I had a high mission to, you know, send them to whatever school they wanted to go to, or, you know, just have them have a fantastic life. So for me, it was about driving for my family at that point to, um, you know, to win. So, and I always look for leverage because, you know, I still went after higher end accounts, but I went after higher end accounts. I didn't go after you know, small accounts or, you know, medium-sized accounts, because when we go after small accounts, we'll never grow faster than market rate. It's almost impossible. So this is something I teach my clients. When you go after medium-sized clients, you'll grow potentially at market rate. But when you go after large clients, those that bring in, you know, five, six times the revenue that are, uh, uh, say, a mid-market 
client would bring in. Those are the what make people grow faster than market rate most of the time. Now, it has to be a mix of two or three of them, but the reality is I was able to handle all the midline clients through the agency component that I built internal. And then, so that allowed me to go after larger clients. And that's in part how I got into Procter & Gamble. I helped them originally in the telecommunications world. Interesting. I know for me, the growth has been, and the joy, bringing on more team members mm-hmm. and being able to, like you said, you take those pieces. I'm going to stay back here and take these pieces, the ones that I enjoy the most, the ones that are the most profitable and that require the most expertise. But you guys can all still make me money. Not as much, but I'm not doing any of it. You're doing it. You're earning income. You're happy. And I'm happy. I find that to be a blast. <laughs> it's it's the ultimate win, 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 right? I mean, yeah. it, you know, I love hockey. Uh, so, you know, not everybody's supposed to be a goalie. Not everybody's supposed to be a defenseman. Not everybody's supposed to be a, a coach. It's a, a process for me was looking at, okay, well, how do I want to enjoy my life? And I don't think enough people in business, whether they own the company, they're running the company, or they're selling for the company, they don't look at their life first and then build their business around life versus I'm going to build my life around the business. Right. It's, it's, a, it's a big mistake. And as uh, you know, uh, we get older, we start to realize, okay, well, you know what? Wealth is measured in discretionary time you know, versus just how much my bank account is. And it's nice to have a huge bank account that's good quality of life too. But, uh, you know, so I recommend people, even when I go into companies and they want to say, you know, they, hey, I want to double my revenues this year. It's like, okay, you know, why? <laughs> What's the real reason behind this? Because behind every corporate agenda is a personal mission somewhere. There is. And so it comes back to that getting honest about it and making sure you're sharing that with everybody who's under you and beside you. So you're not in conflict with each other. Not to quote Tony Robbins, but I will. <laughs> you know, he said, said the, the quality of your life is measured by the quality of your relationships and the communication in which you have. And in business, it's no different than in personal life. And it's crazy, Susan, because when two people, let's say they're in love, they're dating, they're doing whatever, right? Uh, I'll just say from a guy's perspective, we go out and do anything. We will do anything to build the relationship up, right? And, but when it comes to business, people forget to do the same things in a different way for the business relationship as they would for a personal relationship. And I think they forget they're, they're not selling to titles, they're not selling to corporations or businesses, they're selling to people who own these pieces of business or people who are working within those businesses and they wanna be treated like people as well. So getting back to our target audience, and, and I do have to actually go back to the very beginning of our conversation, when we were talking about the fact that you worked for your father at the age of three, mm-hmm. what if that was his design or goal, I am always reminded of my mother having six children. And I truly believe her goal was to never have to do housework herself. <laughs> because we all did it and she did none. And <laughs> we were all taught. Getting back to that, though, I just had that memory, that flash. I'm wondering if as we get close to wrapping up our time together in this segment, when you get clear on your target audience and you know what it is, can you give a little bit of advice to people when they realize they've been missing their best audience? When you've completely missed it, 
what do you do for one thing to get to the target audience and what do you do with your old audience? Well, it depends on the goal, right? It depends on the truthful outcome that one wants. So let's say they miss the audience, but they still enjoy working with them, but they're not as profitable as they want them to be. Mm -hmm. But they've identified this new audience, which is highly profitable and they really should be there. So in the beginning, we're going to split our, our time and our focus. We're going to take a certain percentage of time and energy, and we're going to put it toward the new audience. And then once we start getting and building up on this new audience to the place where it starts to compete with the previous audience, then it's time to make a decision. Am I going to segment and bring other people in to work the, the side of the business that is still there, still profitable, but shouldn't be with me? Or am I going to now, you know, dump some of the water out of the glass to make more room? Because when our cup is so full, we have to either pour the water out, you know, um, in order to put some better quality water in. So it's more of a question of what's the end goal. But what I recommend to everyone is you don't cannibalize your base overnight just to go after a new market because even though we all think we have the greatest ideas in the world, <laughs> including myself, um, you know, sometimes the market just says, no, it's not the right time. You know, I, I knew some people who started Starbucks long before Starbucks started. They started it on the East Coast of the United States and it failed miserably. It was the same concept. You know, Home Depot was not the first big box store for that, right? The other company went out of business and that's where they learned it. Sometimes there's a market timing. You know, uh, I remember talking to Zoom two years ago, actually, we were doing some business together. And I remember talking to the guys internally and they're like, yeah, we're, you know, it's a nice, cool company. It's, you know, doing what it's doing and we like being here. But now, <laughs> now Zoom has turned into Kleenex, right? Because it's no longer, hey, I'm going to do video conferencing. It's I'm going to Zoom or I'm going right. to connect with you. But the timing in the market wasn't right two years ago. Now it was. I think about when I have tried and said, well, I want to go after this other audience. I enjoy them. I want to work with them. I have these ideas, just like you were saying, you know, great ideas, I think. Mm -hmm. And I guess I will say divine step in, whatever it is, but clients that I've had for 15, 20 years were quiet during that time, which allowed me the time to give it a shot. And some of the ideas stick. And some of them don't. Mm -hmm. And I'm always so grateful for when they don't. And I accept that fact uh, begrudgingly. And the steady eddies are still there. And all of a sudden it's like, hey, we've seen you've been busy doing this. It reminded us to work with you again. Cool. You got some new things for us. And suddenly I'm able to bring them into the ideal. Mm -hmm. Because they're seeing that renewed energy, that excitement, new ways of thinking that we hadn't done before, but suddenly they're seeing me in a different light. They're seeing my companies in a different light. And it's wonderful. I, I find that such a gift. Well, it, it absolutely, you know, whether it's universal intervention mm -hmm. <laughs> or, or whatever we want to call it, when you're moving in a direction and it's a positive direction, a lot of people want to know what that is. So you know, you're using one of the uh, strategies for growing uh, revenues 
you know, is it re-engagement? You have a certain audience that's sitting there. They weren't buying at that time or they were kind of steady eddies, as you were saying. And now something new's come up, but you know, you've grown, they want to grow. So they're now engaging into the, into the new growth. And one of the ways of driving revenues up is for people to go back to your existing client base, go back to the dormant client base, go back to the past client base. There's already a relationship built in. So just re-engage them. And a lot of times you'll pick up sales very quickly. I agree. Doug, our time is done today. Oh, that went by fast. It did go by fast. We <laughs> might have to revisit this. I'm going to stay on top of what you're doing because you give me some great triggers for conversations. That's, and I, thank you. I think it would be lovely to check in and you've brought home some great points for everybody about addressing blind spots, getting clear on our target audience and not forgetting those dormant clients more than anything. And a lot of us, including you and many other you know, heavy hitters that I regard in LinkedIn are always saying, re-engage. It's easier to keep going with your existing clients and to find new ones. And it's and more I'm, profitable too. Way more profitable. And sometimes they want to catch that infectious, wonderful, upbeat excitement that you have because you've thought of a new idea. Bring them in on it, run it by them, at least give them the opportunity to share that excitement because that's probably what they liked about you in the first place. Yeah. And, and to your point, I had a client that uh, all I did was send out a message, quick message, just saying, hey, I'm checking in to see how you're doing. And I know some I've read things that people go, don't do that. Don't do that. Don't right? check in. Stop yeah. checking in. Stop checking in. Yeah. Right. And and they said, I'm doing well. And I said, um, I'm, I'm going to be out in your area next month. And they were in California and I'm on the East Coast. So uh, and, uh, so I flew out and I said, I want to take you out to lunch, you know, just to kind of see each other again. They said, sure. So we get there and we start talking and lo and behold, I said, guys, you should build an agency in your company. And they asked me, what was it about? And then, and I gave them all the information and we, you know, hugged each other. And I went on my way, uh, a week later, they called me back and they said, we've been thinking about this. We want you to help us build this. It was a multi six figure deal for me. That was a dormant client. So it works. So, you know, reach out. How can they find you, Doug? Uh, they can go to businesssuccessfactors.com uh, and um, I'm there. Uh, the contact information's on the website. Or if they want to get me on LinkedIn, it's Doug Brown1234 at LinkedIn. Um, I have a book out. It's called Win Win Selling uh, How to Resolve the Power of Profitability by Resolving Objections. I wrote it all on communication, on the philosophy and psychology of resolving objections because too many people are taught crush the objection or parrot back what they're saying right. or whatever, right? And it's really goes back to the psychological triggers that people developed early on in their life uh, all the way through because objections are a result of what happened in their past most of the time. Right. So it addresses all that. They can get that at winwinsellingbook.com. And what I did uh, for you, Susan, and your audience is I dropped the price of the ebook down to 99 cents so anybody can afford it. Wow. <laughs> and how long is that offer good? Uh, I would say probably another week or two. Um, well, maybe. Oh, and there's you, the you pressure. I got to get this edited right now <laughs> and get this published. Oh my goodness. Okay. Well, if you tell me, I'll keep it open for you. <laughs> is there any, any code they need? Uh, no, 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 no. Just go to winwinsellingbook.com. It drives them right to Amazon. And, uh, you know, and if they have any questions or comments or whatever, 
feel free to email me at Doug at Business Success Factors or just give me a call at 603-595-0303. That's generous of you. And thank you for that deal. We will make sure we get that pushed out because I think that sounds like wonderful strategies. And I actually, business books, I like to have on my phone because we wait in line so much now. Oh, yes. What a great time to take in a couple chapters. You used to be called windshield time, right? Where you would listen to audios. <laughs> now now it's it's read a book time. Because... I can read a book. I can scroll through it and learn in little chunks through every line I'm stuck in, whether it's at Chick-fil-A or waiting for some kind of COVID test. So thank you. Would it, would it be helpful for your audience, Susan, if, if uh, I also would give them the ability to self-assess their company? I have a I have something called the sales and marketing checklist that sure. was designed to sort of discover some of those blind spots we were talking about. Oh, that would be a wonderful tool. So just, uh, uh, you know, email me to at Doug at business success factors, uh, dot com and just, you know, put in the title, and, you know, uh, checklist or something like that. And I'll have it sent out to them. You heard him folks, just email him and in the subject say, I want the checklist. And that's all you have to do. We will be sharing this out on social to remind you all in case you did not listen to the tail end of this episode. We want to make sure, though, that you get all the goodies that he has offered to you all and to me. I'm going to take advantage of those. Doug, it's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed our visit. Brief as it was, it was a wonderful episode and we've left them wanting more. Always the goal. Well, I've had a lot of fun and I really appreciate you and I'm grateful you had me here. So thank you. All right, we'll have to do it again. Thank you so much, folks. Again, this has been Susan Finch, your host today for Rooted in Revenue. Find us at rootedinrevenue.com. Find us at funnelradio.com for all the shows we produce. We love promoting business podcasts, producing them, helping people do better. We are here to help you look good online through your audio portfolio. Thank you so much. Never miss an episode? Check out rootedinrevenue.com and subscribe on the site to get weekly updates of when new episodes come out. Or find us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio. We want to be where you are, so go subscribe. We'll get you all the information you need to do your best with marketing of events and your online presence. <laughs>